morning and uh, we're going to look at the subject of being of one mind and uh, so that's our, our theme for today based on the reading that Jonah gave to us earlier thank you very much Jonah for, for reading that that's fantastic but shall we pray before we uh, look at uh, God's word together thank you Heavenly Father we thank you for all that we've uh, heard so far thank you for the part of the Bible we've been able to read Thank you for the story from the Old Testament we've been able to think about. And Lord God, we thank you for the fact we've been able to praise you and to sing praises to you, Lord Jesus, and our God and Saviour. And we ask now that you'd help us. We pray continue to be with people that are in our hearts. Father, we pray for Glenn and Elaine. Please continue to help them to get better. And we pray for Joel and Piper. And we ask for your blessing upon the family. Pray for Franca in Canada. And ask please... Please be with her and her mum and dad. And we pray for, particularly for Frank's dad at this time, you'd help him to trust in you uh, for, to be his saviour and to be his shepherd through this difficult time of a very serious illness. And Lord God, we ask now that you turn our hearts to uh, think about you, think about what your book says and help us to learn and grow. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Great. Well, uh, you can see that the, the main title is Be of One Mind, and uh, we've got the kind of introduction here, Saint All Sorts Church, Saint All Sorts Church. You might be wondering what on earth that is about. Well, yesterday um, we took Alethea to university, and today she's hopefully going to uh, St. Ebb's Church there in Oxford, and uh, it made us think about church names, because there was another church building nearby where Alethea's staying called St. Giles, and one person in our family thought it was St. Gillies, but... Um, but then you think of names of, uh, of churches, they're sometimes named after people. Well, the Bible says that all Christians are saints. Um, and when you think about it, um, we should be an all sorts church, saint all sorts church. And we'll, we'll come a bit more to that a little bit later on. See, in the Bible that we read from just, it says rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind. All sorts of Christians, all sorts of saints can be of one mind in Christ and that's what we're going to be thinking it could be translated be of one mind or be agreeable or think the same so there's various ways to put it but that thought is be of one mind now in church gatherings we have all sorts of people don't we all sorts of characters and uh, generally speaking that the more well I'd say always speaking the more sorts of people in a church congregation the better and the better a church is doing if that's the case and you know heaven is going to embrace diverse people from every nation tribe people and language group and they're going to be standing before the throne and before the lamb so the more a local church can consist of the whole range of people from its community setting then the better the better so it's always great to be an all sorts church saints all sorts church even if we're called firmwood community church so ideally what we want to do is to see different ages different skin colors uh, different cultures uh, we want to see different educations, people from different educational backgrounds. We want to see people who do different kinds of work, women and men, both, <laughs> they'll do. And uh, a variety of things, a variety of people, a variety of backgrounds. And a variety brings to the church family different experiences, sometimes different church backgrounds, as we were brought up maybe in different areas of the country, different churches, uh, different cultural perspectives and so on. Some of us will have been brought up around the area of the local church. Some of us will have been brought up in other towns or even other countries. And these are great. This richness, this diversity of background and perspective is fantastic. 
All these differences bring a rich diversity that's to be celebrated. But it also means that we bring different preferences to the church family, different perspectives on some ethical or theological issues, different temperaments, different levels of risk-taking, different levels of character that go with that. And with all those differences, we bring our various faults and failings to the table as well, don't we, or into the family for a better image. And it's a wonderful mix to be celebrated, to be a saint all sorts church, but because we're not per perfect people at all, are we? It brings potential problems that could affect our unity. And this subject really is very, very important for church life. It's actually a vital subject for us to really get under our belts as we think about Firmwood Community Church developing into the future, becoming an independent church. This is a crucial issue to get under our belts. So I really pray that we'll take this very seriously and consider it very, very carefully. So the question is, how can a uh, kind of mixed bunch of people, how can a mixed bunch of people be of one mind, be of one mind? How can we do Romans 12, 16? It says there, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. How can we do that? How can we do Romans 12, 16? Live in harmony with one another when we're so different and we have different perspectives and we're all people with faults and failings. How is it possible? We've got numerous instructions in the New Testament to be of one mind or to live in harmony and so on. And obviously, if God says it, we can do it. If God is telling us to do something, he will provide what we need to do it. If God asks something, us to do something, he will give us the potential to do it. In Philippians 4, verse 13, we have the promise here, the Apostle Paul writing, I can do all this. All that God wants me to do, I can do all this through him, through God, who gives me strength. So it, it is possible to be of one mind, even though we're such a mixed bunch. Now, imagine a kind of a bunch of spokes from a bicycle wheel. Here's some spokes from a bicycle wheel. And uh, these are a bunch of spokes and they remind us of a church of girls and blokes. There we go. So here they are, all disassembled and uh, kind of not connected at all. So here's a bunch of spokes, all separated and disconnected. How can these be in harmony? How can there be unity? How can they be strength? Because these on their own are a bit bendy. So, you know, this makes a wheel of a bike. Hmm, seems a bit weird. How could this help? How could this help the wheel to be strong? And uh, so here's some, an idea for you there. Keep that in mind, the spokes from a wheel. Now, the church of Corinth had problems with unity. And Paul identifies some of these problems in his first letter. We've mentioned it before that some people were critics of Paul and his team. Some people had their favorite preachers and started a kind of rival fan club. Uh, uh, around different preachers. Some folk divided into groups over their, their favorite preacher and their different emphases uh, and their different, you know, so-and-so preacher, they're really good at this and or they're, they're really strong on this and so-and-so preacher, well, they're, they're good on that and uh, we want to go for that and so on. And so people were being divided in the church. But Paul appeals to the church. He appeals, he pleads with the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. And he says this, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from close household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, another, I follow Cephas, still another, I follow Christ. 
And so the, there was this division going on and it all became very childish or very immature. And if you remember from 2 Corinthians, the last verses that we've been looking at there, Paul says, be mature, doesn't he? Become complete, strive for full restoration. But all this became very, very, very childish. And in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, Paul writes here, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it yet. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? So when we come to the second letter of Paul, we see that he's concerned that he's due to visit them. He's, he's wanting to visit them. He's looking for the opportunity to come and see them. And he's concerned that there'll be still disunity there. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 20, before the chapter we've been studying, over these weeks, he writes this, verse 20, I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. What a horrible thing to find in a church community. And Paul was really concerned that wouldn't be the case. And so he writes this second letter to try to make sure that they get themselves sorted before he see, visits them. So the divisions with preachers fan clubs were actually a symptom, as I've said, of spiritual immaturity a kind of a worldly attitude. Now, being worldly comes from a thought life that's dominated by self-centeredness rather than a focus on Jesus. That's where worldliness comes from, a thought life dominated by self-centeredness instead of a focus on Jesus. Now, you've probably observed toddlers, children, as they grow up, and one aspect of childishness, although children don't always understand what they're doing at the time, and especially when they're very little, but one aspect of childishness is not being able to see anything or, or anyone except for your own toys, for your own from your own perspective. And you'd rather throw your toy at the pram, you'd rather throw the toy across the room than let your fellow toddler, your brother or sister share it. And there's a childish immaturity there that children normally go th grow through. But you know, childishness like this can cling onto us adults. And we need to be aware that we need to forsake that childishness and become mature. Again, the theme of Paul's letters to the Corinthians. And the answer, the antidote is a focus on Jesus. It's a focus on Jesus that is this antidote to immaturity, to self-centeredness, to worldliness, to, to, to division. It's a focus on Jesus that makes all the difference. A mixed bunch can be of one mind. And the key is a focus on Jesus. So then, we see reasons to, for Paul, to uh, rather Paul gives reasons for the church of Corinth to, to come together. Let's have a, a quick look at them. We see as we read through 2 Corinthians, a kind of a number of hints to how the church needs to, to come together. The church needs to come together to forgive and to comfort, uh, and in particular, a repentant church member. In 2 Corinthians 2 verse 7, it says there now instead you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow i urge you plural therefore to reaffirm your love for him so that the church needs to come together to forgive and to comfort someone who's who's made a big mistake but now he's repented uh, and now he's, he's putting his life right and they need they need to come together to forgive and comfort this fellow christian they need to come together to contemplate christ in 2 corinthians 3 verse 18 it says there, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, 
which comes from the Lord, who is a spirit. So they need to come together to contemplate Jesus for a, a life transforming gaze upon him and to focus their attention upon Jesus. They also need to come together to realize the, the privilege of being Christ's ambassadors, that they have a mission together to serve Christ as his ambassadors, 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So they need to come together for these reasons, to forgive and comfort a sorrowful brother in Christ, to contemplate Christ together, and to be and recognize the privilege they have and the mission they have as Christ's ambassadors. They also need to come together to draw close as a family in Christ. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, it says there, do not be yoked together with unbelievers you know, in kind of influential relationships such as marriage or um, other kind of partnerships or commitments such that you're or influenced by a non-Christian in a, in a wrong direction and you're not able to follow through your commitment to Christ. So don't be yoked together with unbelievers, but verse 16, the positive side, for we are the temple of the living God, it says. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you and I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So Christians in a, a non-Christian world need to draw together as a family in Christ. And also we need to draw together to be refined together. Chapter seven, verse one. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So we need to come together for all these and other reasons too. And the Corinthian church needs to see it's got very important reasons to come together. So there's a, a view, a focus on Jesus, and there are wonderful goals and exciting roles for us to unite together as one family, as one body together in Christ. And so these are reasons to come together. Now, it's interesting. Uh, there's a case in the church of Philippi that Paul writes to. You can see uh, quote there Philippians 3 and Philippians 4 and uh, there's a case where he makes a passionate plea for two ladies who have fallen out two ladies in the church who are not seeing things from the same hymn sheet as it were and he writes I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord now we don't know the issues behind that but it's very interesting because the few verses before notice what Paul does before he makes his plea to these two ladies and Philippians chapter 3 Verse 18 says, for I've often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. We're in a battle. We're in a warfare here. We've got no time to fall out and mess about. Verse 19, their destiny is destruction. Those are the enemies of Christ. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So before he makes his plea to these ladies, he, he, he gets everyone to, to look up. He gets these ladies to, to think about that there are enemies. We're in a warfare. There's no time for, for arguing. And our citizenship is in heaven. We belong to heaven. And we're looking forward to seeing Jesus. And we can follow him and trust in him now. And then he lifts, as he lifts people's thoughts away from earthly things to Jesus in heaven, then he writes those amazing words. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead 
with Iodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Reasons to come together around and because of Christ. The third and last heading is this. The key is a focus on Jesus. And we've, we've mentioned this already, but we're going to kind of drive that home a bit more now. The key to unity and the antidote to self-centeredness and division is a focus on Jesus. Now think of the, the bicycle spokes, okay? So we've got the bicycle spokes here and uh, they're detached and uh, they're not very strong and they're all uh, kind of, well, useless really, apart from maybe picking, you know, using his chopsticks, I suppose. He could use some chopsticks or something like that. I don't know, but uh, not very useful. But when you put those spokes in a bicycle wheel like this, it is absolutely tra a transformation, okay? So there's different positions around the rim. So here we've got the rim where the uh, tire is and the tire is where the rubber hits the road. And then in the middle here, we see the, the hub, okay? So the spokes go from the rim to the hub and this is where everything's joined together at the rim and the hub. Now notice that the spokes are closer to the hub, closer together than they are spread around the rim. Okay, so the spokes are different positions around the rim. And this is a picture to us of the fact that we focus on Jesus. He's the hub. He is the center of everything in our lives. And around the edge, we're more spaced apart because we've got different gifts and abilities, different personalities. And we, we serve God and the, the edge of the wheel here, the rim and the tire is where the action takes place, where the, the rubber hits the road and, and where the, the wheel moves forward and grips onto the ground. Now it's essential that we're attached to the hub. We need to have focus on Jesus, but then our different personalities, our different skills and abilities, our different backgrounds and experiences, they're really useful because they can go at different points around the rim of the wheel. And when all the spokes are connected, and when they're focused tightly and strongly on the hub, and when they're all connected to the purpose of serving God in this world with our differences and different characters and abilities, then the wheel is strong. And this wheel, okay, this wheel can go places. This wheel can be attached to the bike and this wheel can help progress to be made. Now it's been really great to hide behind this, this, this wheel for a bit and it's made me feel a bit more secure, but I'll put it down for a bit. How can people from different backgrounds at different points in the Christian journey, because we all are, we've got blind spots, we've got prejudices that we need to work through. How can we, how can we be of one mind? Now, I was listening to a radio program the other week, and uh, there was a discussion about some compulsory training that uh, MPs in the British Parliament were, were being made to go through. So they're being told that they had to have this, uh, this training, this kind of PC training. And basically, as one um, politician was saying it was basically to train or brainwash all the MPs to to think politically correctly and a minority of the MPs objected most of them were accepting it uh, but even one of those objecting to it and went through the first part of the training just to you know to to show good face and to show some willing uh, was just re rejected it after that because basically what he felt was happening was that it was creating a fear of offending, which in his opinion, was shutting down free speech and thought. So there's, there's, there's a need to be polite, there's a need to respect, there's a need to recognize prejudices that we all have. There's a need to take care in what we speak and not be deliberately offensive. But he thought that the training was going too far, kind of causing people to be afraid to, to think freely, a kind of a, a thought police. 
kind of thing de developing here, creating a society where people are afraid to think for themselves and to speak out what is true. Now, is this what is being taught here to be of one mind? Are we being taught that Christians should develop a kind of a group think, a bit Orwellian it sounds, uh, a kind of fear to ask questions, a fear to speak, a fear to think outside the box? Well, that's the characteristic of a cult, not a Christian church. So the answer is absolutely no, absolutely no. If we go to two, sorry, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse uh, 12 to 14, we see here a celebration of, of unity and diversity. It says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we're, we're, we're all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So there's a, a celebration and a recognition that we are different, different nationalities, different characters. We're not all the same. And there's a celebration of that in the Bible. God has made all the variety of the colors in nature and creation and uh, all the different animals and so on. God is a God of diversity and it's fantastic. And the, the very description of love in 1 Corinthians 13 shows that love includes a tolerance and a patience with each other. Because we're not all at the same journey. Some of us are new Christians, brand new Christians, baby Christians. Some of us are still learning the ABCs of, uh, of walking with Jesus. Some of us are further along the line. Some of us maybe haven't learned lessons that we should have had many years ago. We're all at different points. Some of us have got blind spots and prejudices that we need to recognize and work through. But what does 1 Corinthians 13 Verse four say, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So we see in the Bible as a celebration of, of unity and diversity or unity with diversity and also there's this teaching here on that love needs to have a tolerance and a patience for each other so the, the answer is we should not have a monoculture a robotic group think unity those of you who like things like like star trek and so on uh, will know the borg uh, and uh, the borg are kind of people have been taken over by an alien race uh, people from all backgrounds have been made to think the same uh, and to kind of follow the the, the, the group think as it were nothing not like that at all in the christian church we should feel free to ask questions and we actually encourage you to ask questions i want to know more about jesus i want to know what it means to become a christian well why do you believe that and i don't understand that stand that in the bible come ask us those questions send messages in phone us text us whatever we'd love you to ask questions it's right and we need to be free to inquire and inquire and to bring our perspectives to the group and so on so it's not a uh, borg like uh, uh, kind of group think thing that is being taught here but we do have definite things to believe we do have definite things to believe now we know that the gospel is clear and defined the christian message is clear and defined there's a definite good news message now god has spoken and uh, though none of us fully understand the bible in perfection none of us would claim that but god has spoken and god has meant something definite and true in 2 corinthians 1 verse 18 says there surely as god is faithful our message to you is not yes and no 
for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. So Paul is saying there, there's a, a definite uh, message that they are bringing. Jesus is, the message about Jesus is not um, kind of something that we can adapt and to what suits us. It is a clear message that uh, that is preached, that is declared. Our role, if you like, is to hold on to and to live and to preach a defined message. In 2 Corinthians 4, 10, 4, 2, it says, we do not use deception, nor, we, nor do we distort or twist the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly. So the Christian mission is to set forth truth plainly. There's a definite message to believe. You know, taken in context, we can bank on all the Bible as definite truth to believe. It is clear. It is definite. There is a definite body of truth. Now, we take the whole Bible, uh, but there is in the Bible, if you like, a core set of truths that are central truths to and they're focusing on Jesus. And these are foundational to being a Christian. There are lots of truths in the Bible because God is true, but there are truths in the Bible that aren't essential to being a Christian, to becoming a Christian. But there is a core set of truths that are essential for a person to become a Christian. They are foundational. And uh, 2 Corinthians 4 uh, verse 13 says, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. There is a core to the Christian message about Jesus, the one who came from heaven, the son of God, who lived, who died to save us from our sins, who rose again from the dead and is alive today. We can believe in him and trust in him for salvation. And one day he's going to take us to be with him forever. There's a core set of truths in the Christian message of the, of the definite and absolutely essential things that we need to believe. And, and this core message is what Paul and his team were risking their lives regularly for. In chapter 6, verse 4, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger. Paul and his team were, were suffering these experiences because they had something definite to, to pass on, this definite message, and not all people liked it. So we have definite truth. All of God's, God's word, the Bible, is true. And there are clear essential truths at the heart of the Bible that focus on Jesus, which are essential for us to believe to become a Christian. And so as Christians, we have this clear message to believe and a vital message to deliver. And it's something that we need to stand up for, to verbally fight for, to, to argue for, with politeness, of course. And uh, chapter 10, verse 5, Paul writes this. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So this is truth to stand for. This is truth to proclaim. This is truth to, to persuade people regards. Not to use the sword. Jesus never told us to use force to get people to believe. But with verb, verbally and in love, we need to stand up for a definite, clear, essential message. And where necessary, Christians have given their lives rather than, than renounce these foundational truths. And these are the truths. This is the core that we unite around and that focuses on Jesus. So to be a Christian, there is a foundation of definite beliefs, all centered on Jesus. And we need to believe in him to be a Christian, to be saved. The whole of the Bible is God's word. So we can say that we stand on the whole Bible. But the essential beliefs to be a Christian focus on faith 
in Jesus. Now, we're all at different points in understanding the Bible. We may have different views on less foundational issues. We may struggle in grasping certain subjects in the whole Bible, but we love each other. We're patient with each other. So like the spokes of the, the wheel, we, we come at things from different angles. We come at things from different points of view, possibly. But we all focus in at the hub, the hub of the matter. And the hub is Jesus. We connect at the hub. Now, we can all think in one way in that so we um, have a attitude. Sorry. Press the slide back. We can all think in one way in that we have a united attitude and that attitude is to learn, a humility to, to develop our understanding and to learn from each other as well. And of course, most of all, we are united in our love for Jesus. We need to think the same way, not in a kind of a, a robot-like manner, but in that we agree to be learners together. We agree with each other that that's what we want to do, to learn with each other and also from each other. And most of all, we agree together to get to know Jesus. We can all unite in our core beliefs that centre on Jesus, his, his death to save us, his resurrection from the dead, and that he is the Son of God, part of the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And we unite on in these core beliefs in Jesus. We can be of one mind. And we can all be committed and totally united in our faith and worship of him. And as we come together to praise God and to worship him together. And we can follow him together and encourage each other in doing that. Now, the spokes, as I mentioned earlier, connect at the rim. Where the tyre and where the wheel grips the road. And that's how the bike moves forward. And the spokes, as I pointed out, are more widely spaced at the rim than they are at the hub. And our different gifts and abilities are useful. We connect at these wider spaces and it's there at the rim that the, where the rubber hits the road that we diverse people use our different gifts, our different abilities. So we need to be connected to our purpose, our sense of purpose in to serve God, but also focused on the hub. At the hub, our thinking is the same. At the hub, we believe in Jesus. At the hub, we love Jesus. At the hub, we're committed to him. At the rim of purpose, we, we celebrate our diversity and we use our diversity to be spaced around the crucial points around the rim with our different gifts and personalities. But they're connected together at the rim of purpose, the one purpose that we have to serve God. So keep that image in mind. Individualism is great in the sense of we're all individuals and that adds to the, the richness and diversity of our church life. But selfish individualism is something very different and put strain on the unity of a fellowship. So be of one mind and the key to unity and the antidote to self-centeredness and division is a focus on Jesus. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that your son is the hub of all that we are, all that we believe, the centre of our belief, and that he's the one who joins us together. Thank you that we can agree about Jesus. Even though we have different perspectives, maybe on different peripheral subjects, we, Lord, all agree that Jesus is a saviour that we need. We love him. We want to be connected to him. We want to be close to him. We want to follow him. We want to learn about him. We want to help each other to learn about him. We want to help each other to grow closer to him at the hub. Father, we thank you that you've made us differently, with different experiences behind us. 
different characters and personalities. Lord, help us to connect those with those differences to the rim. Lord, help us to see our mission as ambassadors for Christ. And Lord, to use our differences, Lord, in the rich tapestry of how we can reach out to others, how we can help each other, how we can move this thing forward, how we can uh, let the rubber hit the road and move places for you. So please help us, Father, as we be of one mind in the biblical way and as we serve you together in unity. Lord, we pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.